After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple pivots in the for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. I was recently talking with a woman who told me that she had just joined the board of a nonprofit that she really cared about. Uh, This nonprofit has had some great success. It's been growing for a few years, and every year it seems like they're just getting more people involved, um, having more going on, and having to increase their vision. It's super exciting, and I love hearing stories about nonprofits succeeding. So this board member started talking to me, and she said, we had a smaller board, and now we're increasing the number of board members, trying to delegate some responsibilities, um, take some stuff off the plate, and we went from having just three or four people who are really owning everything to now we're up to like seven, eight, nine, getting up to 10. And she's like, and it's just hard to figure out what to do. I asked a couple of questions and almost immediately I said, I know what's happening. So it is the rule of threes and tens. And this is what we want to talk with you all about today. Uh, Whether you are in the nonprofit or maybe you're a for-profit leader who is on a board like this woman was, uh, this is super, super important to know because there are certain points in an organization where the systems that work stop working. Um, A nonprofit starts to grow and it just doesn't, like it seems like the wheels start to fall off. And this is where the rules of threes and tens come into play. I don't know why it causes it. I'm not, I don't get it, but we have seen it time and time again with nonprofits that we work with and leaders that we talk to. And it is anytime there's a three or a 10, the systems break. So when a nonprofit goes from one to three people, three to 10 people, 10 to 30, 30 to 100, 100 to 300, and so on and so forth. And I'm sure you've experienced this, whether it's with your nonprofit or maybe a business that you've been a part of or that you've owned where you've started to see this moment where things start to grow and then things start to break. And suddenly you kind of start to wonder, are we doing the right thing by growing? Because when it was smaller, it was working. And now we're trying to incorporate more people and it just isn't working. This is a systems issue. This is a growth issue. And if you can figure this out, you can grow into the next level. If you do not figure this out, you end up going back to the three or the 10 number that was previously working. And this is where nonprofits can get stuck in a cycle. So let's talk about this. Now, what's cool about the rules of threes and tens is that if you look at it from a perspective of diagnosing a problem, it can be really helpful, but it also can be a really, really great tool for looking forward to growth. And there are tons of implications for how this works with nonprofits It's not just board members. It's not just staff members. It also includes donors and it includes the amount of people that you're reaching and it includes the amount of people that you're helping. And so the rule of three and tens, let's start with the uh, using it as a diagnostic tool. Let's just jump into how can nonprofit leaders start to think rule of three and ten. What's going on with my organization? How can I take this and use it? Absolutely. Um, When you're starting to look at your organization and you kind of get that idea of something 
is going wrong, or maybe it's not even going wrong yet, but you're kind of starting to feel that something's getting wobbly. It's getting a little bit shaky. Um, chances are you have some system somewhere within some team uh, that is starting to grow and it's hitting one of these numbers. Now, this could be the organization as a whole. Maybe you're going from three, you know, from like three, four, five, six, you can kind of use the same system, but then you start hitting 10 and 11 people and the leadership needs to adjust. The systems need to adjust. Everything needs to adjust. If you have a volunteer and they're getting leaders and maybe they had one leader underneath them and now they have three leaders and it's going pretty well, but then they get four and five leaders. What happens is the way that they were effectively leading one or two people no longer works because the amount of time that they have available isn't there. And if they continue to grow, you can't lead 10 people the same way you led one people, one people, one person. (laughs) Um, And so as a diagnostic tool, when you're looking throughout your organization, it could be at like a high level, or it could be in one area on one of the teams, starting to look and say, what growth has happened here? And where are we maybe butting up against one of those numbers that's causing this to start feeling this way? Because you might have a leader under you who was completely thriving with 10 volunteers, and then they got up to 11, 15, 20, and now they're kind of hitting that getting closer to 30, and you can feel it's not quite working. And it does not mean that the leader is incapable of getting to 30. It generally means that the leader has not figured out how to adjust their leadership so that they can manage getting up to 30 so that they can grow beyond it. So as a diagnostic tool, start looking in the areas and just start maybe looking at um, how many people are involved, whether it's staff, volunteers, uh, leaders, or people that you're helping or even donors. Now, what uh, generally a lot of people will think that this is sort of causing this rule to happen, this is kind of my opinion too, is that it has to do with leadership caps and capacities of organizations. And what I mean by that is not necessarily like somebody can't grow into a new level of leadership, but I mean, we tend to, as leaders, hold on to things and grip things very tightly. Mm -hmm. And so if there is a cap that's being hit of like a three or a 10 or a 30, right? Look first and say, what are the things that the leader is doing that they probably should delegate and learn how to raise up some leadership underneath them? Because when you think about it, even the relationships that you have are kind of in threes and tens because there's a certain amount that you can really invest in a few people. Mm -hmm. But as it goes beyond, it's kind of like I can't actually invest the same amount of time that I invest with my kids in my neighbors. Right. And so we need to be thinking, what are things that we need to delegate as leaders or encourage our leaders to delegate in order to build up a structure that can handle more people. It's a capacity issue a lot of the times. Yeah. And so this is caused when leaders don't want to let go of stuff or they don't know how to delegate. And both of those are an issue. Now, if a leader is just unwilling to or or sometimes they're just unable to grow to a new level of leadership, then it's time to start looking and saying, who can I raise up? who can handle to actually uh, manage this entire group rather than just a few people inside of it. Yeah. And this is really important. Sometimes you get leaders who just don't want to let go and either they're in charge of an organization or 
they're um, maybe one of the leader of the teams. I, I was reading something someone had written today and we were kind of having some internet dialogue about it. Um, but she basically said, I've been, a, I am the main leader at this organization I've been at for about a decade. And she's like, and I think my board is useless. And I just think that I should be able to dissolve them all and run things how I want. Um, and I kind of went back and forth and I was like, well, okay, first of all, bylaws. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> yeah, you, you um, probably still here are some board. other issues. Maybe here are some things to consider how to have a conversation if you feel like things aren't effective, that kind of thing. Um, what I didn't say, but what I will say here is this leader with the way she's written, I think she's running into the threes and tens. Um, she has not figured out how to actually get a lot of other people around her. And so she only has her and one other person, and she has not figured out how to lead their board of seven or eight members. Mm -hmm. And so she's in this interesting spot where she's like, I don't even need them. I've been doing it by myself. I can do it by myself. And from the outside looking at it, I'm saying you are doing it by yourself because you haven't figured out how to let other people join you in it. Um, And it's because she does not want to let go. Now, on the other side, there are some people who can't necessarily um, move at the same level as other people. And I mean this in a really, really positive way if someone recognizes this this about themselves. Ted and I knew a leader who was phenomenal. Um, She was great at what she did. She was able to rally people around her. She was great at speaking in vision and mission. But she knew herself well enough to know that she never wanted to be number one at an organization. She always wanted to be the helper of the person who was in charge. And there would be times that people would be like, you should do X and you should do Y and you should lead whatever. And she knew herself enough to know I am great at handling and delegating what has been given to me, but I don't have the capacity to necessarily handle and lead and delegate and have all the ideas and do all the things and be in charge of it. Um, And so that was one thing where she would willingly put herself in positions where she knew she would always be underneath someone else's, underneath someone else's leadership. And I loved her for it. I love the fact that she recognized that about herself. Mm -hmm. But if you have a leader in your organization who doesn't want to let go or who can't let go and can't not in a negative way, but just, cannot let go. Um, those are both things for you as an outside leader to be looking at and saying, the rules of threes and tens are going to apply. And we need to take into account the personalities of the leaders who are currently there. Because you mm-hmm. might need a team who has 10 volunteers. And you might have a leader over that team who did really, really well with three and four and five volunteers. And they might not be able to bring the team to the next level. Mm-hmm. They might also be able to grow, but those are conversations that you need to start having and considering and really thinking about that thing, about now, those things. along with leadership, there are systems and structures that are in place that keep yes. things at each of those levels, at each of those three and ten levels. Systems of how many leaders are there, systems of how often are we getting together, what do the meetings look like, who's invited to the meeting, who is not invited to the meeting, who gets to make the decisions, who has the autonomy. These systems that you have built for a team of 30 are not going to work the same way 
for a team of 100. Mm -hmm. That's just plain and simple. So when we talk about diagnosing, what you need to do is you're having growth problems. Look at the systems and say, how are our systems not allowing us to grow capacity? How are our systems structured in a way that are not allowing more people to be involved with the decision making and getting things done? Because ultimately, when you want to grow an organization, it means that you're wanting to accomplish more. You're wanting to do more things. And you can't just do 100 people worth of things with 30 people. Like they don't have the time. They don't have the capacity to do that. Or if they do, it's only for a short time and then you burn them out and then they're gone. Yep. And so you need to be thinking when we're hitting a cap of a 30 or a 100 or a 300 or a 1000, when we're hitting one of those caps, not just looking at the people, but looking at what are the structures that we have in place? Because now we're starting to get into if you want want to grow, if you want to blow past that next level, you're going to need to think like you're at that level to build your structures in order to do that. And this is a great thing to think about when you're kind of diagnosing what's going to come in the future. This should not be a surprise for you now that you've heard this. If you have an organization and you have 80 or 90 consistent volunteers, you should know, and I'm telling you right now, the systems that you have today will not get you to 150 volunteers in a healthy manner. Right. You might be able to hit a spike and you might see like, oh, we got to 150 volunteers, but chances are very, very strong that you're going to quickly move right back down to 100 or 90 and you're going to just keep hitting that ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that the systems play a huge role and knowing that we all have limits, we all have capacity things that we need to be looking out for. And as leaders, it's not just our job to understand our capacity. It's our job to help other people develop and understand their own capacity too. Mm -hmm. So for example, Um, When I'm leading people, I know, like there's part of me that just wants to be like, everyone can just ask me questions. I'll help make decisions. But realistically, I know that I can handle maybe three people reporting to me. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. Some people have greater capacity in that. I'm I'm at three. And that's about it. I'm also not less than three. I need people helping me. (laughs) I like having like three people around me who are kind of owning staff and I'm able to be that person. But I also know that because of that, if I need a team that's going to have 20 people involved or 30 people involved, I need to grow it in a way where each of the people under me knows how many people they can have talking to them so that we can build out the systems and the structure multiple layers deep so that no one through the process is getting burned out. Because if I'm leading a team, I do not want one of my leaders burning out trying to protect me from my own volunteers. That is not acceptable. It's not how we run this. Um, We want to make sure that the organization as a whole is healthy. And so if you recognize your capacity and you're setting up your own systems, great. Also, be looking at the capacity of the people who are helping um, support your systems and structures and making sure that they're being taken care of too and that you are helping them and guiding them to develop their own support and doing it in a way that's healthy so that they can be around for the long term. This is what will help contribute to the longevity of your organization. And if you can teach people to be flexible with these systems, then every time you hit a new level, they're going to be more ready to make the adjustments that are made because you're already talking about this. 
you're already putting it in, in the back of their mind. You're already communicating this in a way where they know that their systems have never arrived and will never arrive, but they will continue to get better mm-hmm. and they will continue to allow growth. Now, what's interesting about this is a lot of leaders, I think, lie to themselves either like on the positive or the negative. Like they assume they don't have capacity when they do or they assume they have a much larger capacity than they actually do. And so a challenge to you as a listener, as a leader in a nonprofit organization or a leader in a for profit that's running in parallel with some nonprofits You've got to really be honest with yourself and say, how many people can I effectively lead? How many people can I effectively interact with and engage with in a way that they're going to feel like they actually have my attention, that they actually have my ear when there are problems, that they actually can get the answers they need in a timely manner for the problems that they have, they need my input on. Got to be really honest with yourself because I see a lot of leaders saying, you know what? I'm pretty sure my capacity is like 12 and it's like mm, your capacity might be like four or five it, or, or, or even eight or nine. But like that's your capacity, though. What's the capacity of the people under you to live in that kind of environment? Because they might not have enough one on one time with you to understand and catch the vision for what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. They might not have enough time to feel like they even matter. They might not have enough time to get the answers to the questions they have. Or if they're kind of person who doesn't need a lot of like questions answered, they're probably someone who at least likes a pat on the back and an encouragement saying, hey, that decision that you made without having to ask me first, that was a good decision. You know, Mm -hmm. like people don't like working in these deserts of like of like wondering if they're doing a good job or not right right and so it really really matters when you think about your capacity to be honest with yourself and say yes you know what i know that i can really really well invest in like three or four people and that's okay i just need to make sure that i'm picking the right three or four people that are going to help us get to the next point the um example that comes to mind for me is jesus right had 12 Mm -hmm. disciples you know, I believe that he was he's God, right? So God's all powerful and he had 12 disciples, but he actually had three that he really interacted with. There was Peter, James and John were like the disciples that were like kind of the inner group for Jesus. Right. So he had three and then he had the rest of the 12 disciples and then they had a bunch of other disciples that would like follow around, like just people that would just follow around and listen to the teachings and all that stuff. But If Jesus was only able to handle three really well and then 12 in kind of a a bit larger setting, I'm not going to assume that I have like (laughs) better capacity (laughs) and say like, you know what? I can fully handle a team of 15 people without any sort of um, delegation of leadership responsibilities. I'm not going to, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves and not have a savior complex and say that I'm the one that's needed in this organization more than these other leaders. And so I need to have direct contact with every single staff member, even though we have 40 staff members. That is a hierarchical structure that's going to fry you as a leader. And it's going to make people go, this is stupid and disorganized and chaos. I'm out of here. It's going to make people feel like they're not trusted and it's going to make them wonder what the heck is going on with the organization and start Mm -hmm. to opt out. Like that sounds so chaotic. So let's talk like donors for a second because we talked about staff. We talked about volunteers. 
this really applies in, you know, like I said, every area of nonprofit leadership and, and organizational growth. Like if you've got 50 donors, what worked to get up to those 50 donors might probably won't work. Those same structures that you have will not get you to a point where you can effectively retain 120 donors. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be thinking, how would I, you know, at the point where you're at 50 donors, let's say you have a goal of getting to 120 donors in a year or whatever, you need to be thinking, what do the structures need to look like for us to retain and, and, and really value those 120 donors? We need to implement those structures now because otherwise we're just going to hit a cap. We're going to hit a lid and then we're going to try to like push and do like a an event to try to get more donors and it's going to create a little spike and it's going to come back down. You're not actually like raising your baseline at all. Yeah, this is a huge issue. We've we talked about events a couple episodes ago, um, but this is one of those things that we see when people are hitting this cap and this lid. They think that the lid is the fact that they just don't have enough people and they don't realize that the lid is the fact that their systems are screwed up. Mm -hmm. And so there'll be a big, um, we're going to do a fundraiser and our goal is to get this much money and they hit a financial spike. But because the event itself wasn't created in a way with the systems in mind that we're going to follow the event, that we're going to spiral people into new levels of caring about the organization uh, going into the future, it, it it's a spike, but then things drop back down. And sometimes they drop even lower because you run a big event. People give their next four months of what they would have given. And now you don't have any new income for the next four months. Right. And sometimes it drops. Yeah, it drops lower. Um, and the worst thing that comes out of this on a consistent basis is the leader gets it in their mind. Oh, shoot. The biggest thing from last year was the event. We need to do that again or do more of them. We need or, to do tw 20 events this year. <laughs> yeah, we need to do more events or we need to do it the same way. And soon the leader is pushing so hard on the event that they're not realizing that it's not actually helping to grow the organization. Um, because, in a lot of ways, it ends up hurting. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it ends up hurting. And so when a leader is looking back over what has worked in the past, just because an event got you a high ticket amount does not mean the event was successful. Right. And you if almost you... got to look around that event and say, mm -hmm. okay, was we hosted this event here, what regular giving looked like before and what regular giving looked like after when we even that all out, did we raise our baseline and did we net positive mm -hmm. on what came in? Yeah, because otherwise you can end up in the cycle where you're just running from event to event and event from 90 day push to 90 day push to 90 day push. And eventually people look around and say, we are spinning our wheels and the organization isn't effectively growing. We're just using all of our time on this. So a big part of this is the systems and structures, specifically in terms of outreach to the donors. Getting three donors is, you know, most people are like, I could find three people to donate. 10 people to donate? Yeah, I, I could probably do that this week if I need to. 30 people to donate? Like going from 3 to 30, you're 10xing the amount of work that you have to do. Not the number of donors. You are over 10xing the amount of work that you have to do. Conversations you need to have. Conversations, follow-ups, thank you cards, handwritten notes, phone calls, uh, reminders, keeping them involved, making sure that they're seeing what they need to see so that they continue to give in the future. Do you have a system set up right now for 30 donors? Do you have the systems right now set up for 100 donors? If you have 150 con consistent donors, do are they set up in a way that 300 donors 
are going to care. Mm-hmm. Like these are the conversations. But then also, and I just thought of this with donors, the dollar amounts, the events and the communications all need to change whether you're asking for $3 donations, $10 donations, $30 donations, $100 donations, $300 or $1,000 or $3,000. Because a $3 donation, you're in single digits and you're less than 5 bucks. A $10 donation ten dollars that's a like a thirty dollar <laughs> donation you're closer to 50 than zero right a hundred dollar don't like those are the types of conversations too that you're marketing right now it might be for ten dollar donations but what your organization needs is thirty dollar or thirty dollar donations um not ten dollar organizations i said that wrong figure <laughs> it out just just <laughs> pretend um <laughs> but those are the kind of systems too that each of those dollar amounts create a different fear and a different feeling inside of the person that you're asking of or that you're asking to donate. And so you need to know, are the stories that we're telling at the right level? Um, Are the metrics that we're giving backing up what we're requesting? Um, Are the colors we're using in line with the donors that we're looking for? Every single time that you are looking at any of your metrics and you're seeing these threes and these tens, you need to be keenly aware of where you're coming from and where you're going to and just recognize that when you hit the next level, you can either have prepped for it and be ready or you can watch things begin to break and then be scrambling trying to get things. It's like trying to like duct tape up your organization while you recognize it's just not working. That's a scary place to be. And you can totally start to see it ahead of time and start to make adjustments right now. Absolutely. You can you can plan from the beginning to say, hey, we're going to be a hundred staff organization. How do we build our structures in a way that we get there? And it works kind of backwards, too. You can't just usually jump in at a hundred employees. So you have to have a plan. How do we get from one to three to ten to thirty to a hundred, you know, Mm -hmm. and actually run that plan? to get there um you know organizations that you hear of that just started big usually there's a backstory where they went through a series of threes and tens to get to the point and maybe that backstory is hidden <laughs> you don't know about it but that they three had and 10, 10 years of threes and tens and hitting ceilings and limits and relearning and then at year 11 they became an overnight success <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, our challenge to you listeners is to really dig into your organization today and look at where are we capping out? What is the lid that we're hitting right now and find out what three and 10 is actually causing that to happen? Get in there, adjust those leaders, uh, adjust the leadership principles, adjust adjust the structures and systems that you have in place. Uh, An additional challenge would be if you have over 30 staff members to pick at random three of them. And go try and figure out what their current caps are. They might not realize it. And because of your spot in the organization, you might not know what's fully going on in your organization. And it might surprise you to realize some of the caps that are happening a few levels down um, that are having a direct impact on the goals that you're trying to reach. It's fantastic. And as always, if you have questions about how to do this better, we love having conversations with nonprofit leaders and for-profit leaders who are trying to partner with nonprofits. You can always send us an email at office at legacybuildersintl.com. 
Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com. Thank you.